At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. To another edition of Speak of the Devils podcast brought to you by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. I'm your host, Sam Kassan, and we've got a different arrangement today. <laughs> My normal co-host, Maddie Lachlan, is joining us, but this time we're turning the tables on you a little bit. You're going to be our guest, as well as Chico Resch. Of course, they are part of the RWJ Barnabas Health Devils Hockey Network. And we're going to talk a little bit about hockey networks and broadcasting in general, both radio and television. So, Maddie, let's let's take a peek behind the curtain because obviously fans they, they hear you, they see you, that you're delivering the goods, but they don't get a peek behind who the really Matt Lachlan is. So, well, why don't you give us a little taste on how you got into the uh, broadcast business? First off, Sam, it's it's great to be here in this role as opposed to <laughs> that role, but it's a little uncomfortable being the one who's going to be grilled, so to speak. But uh, I'll no, go, I'll go easy on you. All right, fair fair enough. Fair enough. So pulling the curtain back, I mean, I've been around the Devils for a long time, so I think many people know what the background is. I worked on the TV side for many years. It was Sports Channel, and then it changed in many iterations. It eventually ended up as MSG. Uh, I worked when Chico and Doc were doing the games, and the Devils had some great runs there. Uh, And then the opportunity came up. Now this is my 16th year doing radio, and... You know, when I got out of Seton Hall, I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer. That's what I did in college. That's what I had hoped to do professionally. But the path took me more to a hosting role, pre-game, intermissions, et cetera. And you travel a path that takes you as far as you can go, in which case it was to an award-winning regional network, you know, and a great team. But there was a break where the Devils made a change in the radio booth, and I thought, well... You know, Doc Emmerich was still doing the games, no sign of retiring. I was filling in for him, but I wanted more. There was an opening, and I threw my hat into the ring. You know, Lou Lamorello had some doubts because it was a transition that is not that easy, going radio or TV to radio, and he was concerned about how I would handle it, and we discussed that when I talked about getting the job. In the end, he offered it to me, and it's been fabulous. The most impressive thing, though, Sam, is he's never, he didn't, hadn't done play-by-play hockey. I'm thinking, Maddie, like, you can't just jump from doing, like, hosting to play-by-play. I mean, it wasn't like he grew up in Canada and, and he'd practice whatever. So I thought, wow, it's a good lesson, though, I think, for stepping out of your comfort zone if there's something you want to go after and just take the chances. And I'm just curious, Maddie, in preparation for those that first game of play-by-play, I mean, did you practice a lot? How, how did you prepare Yeah, Tom Chorsky was my partner the first year. It was the only year that he worked. So they had also made a change in the analysis chair. So John Hennessy was the play-by-play guy. Randy Velashek, former devil, was his analyst. And and both uh, were not renewed. Uh, And so 
there was two new guys in the booth, and I don't think that benefited either one of us, quite frankly, because I had no one to lean on. Tom, who had done some work in Minnesota but had not done radio analysis, he didn't have a veteran to lean on either, so we were both kind of finding our way. Um, so, yes, we, I mean, we did preseason games. I remember we were in Philadelphia one time. Uh, you know, we did all the preseason games just kind of as a test. And uh, <laughs> Lou pokes his head in the booth about five minutes before we go on the air. He goes, hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, it's good, Lou, you know. He goes, well, I haven't listened to any games yet, but I'm going to listen tonight. <laughs> like he and, and he walked out, and I turned to Chor, and I said, you know what? We just had the heat put up underneath us a little bit. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fine. Lou, Lou wants everyone to be at their very best. But yeah, that was it, really, Chico. I didn't sit down that summer when I got the job. I got it late. It was in August, I think, mm -hmm. when I got it. So I didn't suddenly sit down in front of a television screen and ask my friends at MSG, can I get some games? I'll poke it, pop well, them in and just... Uh, no, oh, no, no, it was just... Because I remember, a, like, Kenny Albert or Marv Albert and even Doc would practice. You know, they, that was back in the day where you had, a, a you know, a tape recorder. And they would just watch a game, so they're, wherever they would go watch the game, and then they'd sit up high and they'd be practicing. But you, you never really, like, practiced your calls, like how you're going to no. say, no, really, no, okay. No, but, you know, I mean, it was a long time ago. I did a lot when I was in college, obviously. I did a little when I got out of college. But I had filled in for Doc, as you know, doing 14, 16 games a year. I did some Mets play-by-play -play as well. It certainly wasn't a, a huge slate of games in either case i was just a fill-in uh so i had some of that experience but no in terms of sitting down and and, and doing a radio call nope it was uh off did, we go did you think about well what's going to be my signature call on a goal or you know how everybody tries to separate from the pack yeah no you I never didn't. did no i just uh i just said here we go okay just, just well. jump jump right in yeah I, again i had done it it, it wasn't like I was pulled completely out of left field. I mean, to a large extent, I was. I, I did have play-by-play -play chops on the TV side. The radio was entirely different. So, no, I just, I just kind of continued what I did on television, for better or for worse. So I, I, I didn't look at it as like, wow, this is new. It was different, but I didn't look at it as it was new. I mean, I do want to come back to the differences between TV and radio, but... Real quick now, Chico, you were a player. Towards the end of your career, did you start thinking, like, maybe I wanted to get into media? How was the transition you took from player to broadcaster? Well, when I played, you didn't make enough, so you, you could retire. So at first I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I got to be a junior coach out in Tri-Cities. But that lasted for half a year. And then um, Mel Bridgman called me and said, would you like to be a scout? in Ottawa, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Mel was an ex-devil, as you know, and that worked well. And then I, uh, from that, I was the assistant coach with the um, Senators, and I remember that Pete Silverman, who was executive producer, he called me and said, uh, Peter McNabb, no, Dougie Sullivan, another ex-devil, he's going to be stepping away. Do you want to try the job? And I said, well, you know, I got another year as coaching, and I can't bail on these guys. He said, okay, um, Actually, excuse me, it was Pete McNabb who was stepping away. He said, okay, but I'll give Dougie Solomon. So Dougie Solomon took it, and I thought, well, there goes that. But Dougie Solomon, after a year, said, I don't want it. And I remember I was doing a hockey school in St. Cloud. Somebody says this, Pete Silverman wants you on the phone. And so I came off the ice and took it, and he said, hey, I know you didn't want it the last time, but it came up again. And I said, yes, thank you, and you'll be working with Doc Emmerich. And so that unfolded. And, you know, the thing with uh, working with Doc, the, the only thing he told me, which is, is Maddie's nose as well, he just says, look, at, like, you're not going to be this profound 
um, color commentator where you're saying things that nobody else sees. But just say it with enthusiasm. He says, just say it with enthusiasm. So the fans are engaged. They think, oh, I got to listen to this game. Listen to the uh, the color man. So I practiced. Oh, look at that cross-height stump. Look at how it just laid flat. I was... I was embellishing everything. And, and I don't know about Maddie, but Sammy, you too. The hardest thing for me was when I would watch those early tapes. If you just talk in a normal voice, you think, okay, that's kind of the way we talk. And, but it comes flat. You've got to project. And, and I was told that by Pete Silverman. So then when I started to project, well, you know, it felt like, like you phony baloney. Like you're, <laughs> you're kind of yelling, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you've got to go over the top for it to come across as normal uh, on a broadcast. That, that was probably the hardest part for me. But don't you find, Chico, that because, and especially you having been around the game so long, you've seen all the great saves. You've seen the hardest shots. So how do you translate that to the viewer, or in this case now the listener, when you've seen it all, but you have to make that goal, that save, sound like it's the most amazing one that you've seen in a long time. So you have to you have to bring that, right? Exactly. Well, that's, you know, the play-by-play guy's got to build that goal up to bigger than whatever. Then I come in and I was thinking, well, Sam, you played some goal. Goalies are an- analysts. I'm watching down the ice when I'm playing. Okay, what, what's that four-checker doing? Why is that guy going there? Da-da-da-da-da. And I'm sure even Maddie says, oh, some of these details. But everything with goaltending is details. And when I worked with Roland Drash, you know, and you did too, the producer, I said, the only thing I want is a, I think the fan wants to see the puck go in the net. I mean, a baseball home run, you see the ball go, football. But in hockey, there's people in front. I said, Roland, just help me to see the puck. And there was a goal uh, the other night uh, against Montreal where there was a, a wraparound, and it was Savard, the defenseman, who tipped it and went in off the goalie's head and in. I'm sure no fans would have seen that live. So that's kind of what I thought, Maddie. If I can pull out something beyond the obvious on how that goal was created, you know, they, maybe that would be my niche, and, and that's what I tried to do. Before you made that transition, though, uh, when you took that call at St. Cloud at, during, during the camp, <laughs> had you done some games before hockey night in Canada and things like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I worked with, like, Danny Gallivan. He's one of the greats, and I'd work with Bob Cole. And you're right, Maddie, but when I think back, I was just playing it safe. I was just kind of a cheerleader. Just, you know, what the producers were saying for a while, and I didn't agree with it, and I don't know if Maddie did. On TV, they'd say, listen, the fans can see the play, so you can talk over it. Like the the, the play-by-play and the color man and Doc would have none of that. And I didn't (laughs) like it either because it was disruptive. I want the the play-by-play guy to bring things to a crescendo, even if it's a missed goal or whatever. So... Um, that's what I did to start with. I was just trying to be enthusiastic. And then, as you know, then you try to add a little bit more and try to give the fans some inside look. Uh, but, yeah, I had done it, Maddie. But, uh, see, I, like I say, I, I, uh, I got, we, we folded the station. I was working for the North Stars. But how many of you guys have ever folded a TV station? That's <laughs> tough to do. But we folded the TV station, so I lost the job there. I, I didn't really... I never really found my footing doing um, color, uh, Maddie, until I came here with Doc and did the Devils. What what was the hardest part of the transition? And speaking of that, how quickly did you feel like you got comfortable into a role? Because 
I mean, Maddie and I went to school, we went to college and learned all these things. We had, we got lots of reps, but for you, you're coming pretty cold from a career. I know you know the game, but there's a difference between knowing it and delivering it. So how hard was that transition and, and how quickly did it take you to kind of get, get a hold of it? Well, it was hard because as Maddie knows, they don't train you. I'm just saying, even the, the new play-by-play and color people who are doing the NHL now and TNT and ESPN and some of them, it's not like you've got a coach that says, hey, you know, the, um, uh, Marty Glickman, he's the only guy that told me something. He was our coach. Marty did the, the, uh, the Giants, what, in the 50s and 60s. He was kind of a legendary. He said, the only thing is, say, Maddie's going to open the show. And I would, you know, I would be looking out at the TV camera like this. And, and so Maddie'd be talking. And he says, is that the way you converse with someone? He says, you look at the TV when Maddie starts his introduction. You look and nod. Then you look at the person talking. And then he's going to look back at you. You can take, do a flash to the camera. But, but people now who the, the color man or whoever is introducing the game coming up and the other guys like this, I'm thinking that's not you, the way you would do conversation. So that was one of the things that uh, I got helped with in coaching. But other than that, the only time we had a game in Vancouver, and it was, I remember we, there were 13 shots. It was the most boring game. And, um, and, and I wasn't good, and Doc was doing it, right? But it was such a boring game. So we fly to Edmonton the next day, and uh, Roland Dratt says, hey, Chico, I, I got to tell you, Pete Silverman wants to talk to you. I got on the phone, and he ripped to me. He, what were you doing? You hurt the whole team. Like, you were so bad. You had no one, da-da-da-da-da. And then Roland just told me, uh, Maddie uh, and, and Sam, uh, about a week ago, he said, and Pete had done this before, he says, uh, Roland, leave Chico in Edmonton. Don't take him with you the next trip. Because he had done that to some other guys <laughs> to get really? the message. I thought, well, I must have been bad. <laughs> but that was my lowest point. I, I wanted to quit. I thought, yeah, I'm no good at this. <laughs> and, and fortunately, I didn't. But uh, you know Pete Silverman, he, he was tough. And Man, that's like a player coach, and the coach just leaves the player. Yeah, right. You miss the bus time, you're gone. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pete was tough. And, and the best teachers, right, are the ones who are hardest on you. But that... It goes over hard. a line, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say this. Pete never told Roland to leave me anywhere. So I just want to point out. <laughs> <laughs> How bad do you have to be to be left in, in Vancouver, too? It's not like you're in New York or uh, oh, even somewhere yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah, and, and I wasn't good. I remember at the Meadowlands. I, you guys probably don't realize this, but I, I am kind of sensitive. It doesn't come across that way. I, I was insecure. And there were times, I would say that first year, I would think after the period, you idiot. You said some of the stuff. Stupidest things. And I would go in the washroom and just sit there and say, okay, Lord, help me. I got to go back out there, but I, I am so bad. And, and that went on for a year, really. And I, I, was, uh, I tried to muster it up, but Roland Dratch, who was kind of my mentor, and, and Doc, um, it was good because, you know, Maddie too, or, they could carry me if I was having a bad game. It's just like, you know, playing with Wayne Gretzky. If you're not having a good game, you might still look good because he's going to give you some, some layups. And, and that's, that's kind of how I got through the couple of really tough years to start with. And I do want to turn the tables back to you, but real quick, at what point did you feel like, all right, I've got this, I'm good at this? Because I know we're talking about the tough times, but was there a moment, was it your second year, third year? You were just like, fourth. Fourth? Fourth year. Oh, you, you know I exactly when? it was kicking in. I, I, every summer, die. I'd say to my wife, I don't know if I can go back. I don't know. But, you know, you're only a quitter if you quit. 
If you keep trying, you're never a quitter, even, even if you don't succeed. And I, and I just was thinking of that even as a player. You're going to quit. You get in there and just be as bad as you, you could be, <laughs> which I was some nights. But fortunately, Devils were good. That helped. And, and Doc was good, who would carry me. And then by the fourth year, um, I think I was away from the game enough. You know, I always, I always assumed that um, the players are listening, and they are, and they're thinking, that Chico... He is an idiot. And I'll just tell you one time, I don't mean to monopolize it, but I'm, I'm, Robbie Fatorik's the coach. And, and so Robbie would do things, both to players and to media, if he could. He would try to embarrass you in front of, uh, to see how you're going to react. So I'm there, and you know, you, you're there, Maddie. I think you're asking him questions, and he's asking the question, and he looks at me and says, hey, Chico, you know that comment you made last night about my tie? You made my daughter cry. She had bought me that tie. And I thought, what? I don't remember, but I was just crushed. I couldn't even come up with an answer. And I thought, geez, how bad am I? I made the coach's daughter cry. And I thought back, and I even went and looked. I I just said something about the tie matching something. But he would just put me on the spot. And that was another moment where I said, well, you're either going to crumble and get, you know, crushed, or you're going to bounce back. And fortunately, I did. But uh, I don't know, Maddie. Did you? I mean, did you have any embarrassing moments of like something like that? I don't know if you want to tell. You know, no. Maddie's perfect. No, that's, no. Not, that's <laughs> far from true. Um, How about the Lou Lamarillo story? You don't want to tell that one, though. Maybe. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. No, I okay. would prefer not to tell okay, it. Yeah, quite yeah, frankly, um, but no. I mean, there was nothing where a coach embarrassed me like that. And that's more on Robbie than on you. Uh, I did have John Calipari once when he was coaching the Nets come up to me and make fun of my tie. And I said, <laughs> well, it's nice, but it's a gift from my wife's best friend. And he turned beet red. He goes, oh, but, you know, it, it, it wears okay. You know, it's getting better. So, uh, yeah. Oh, what a player. Did a player ever come up and say, I heard your comment last night. I only I had that happen a couple of times where players kind of challenged me on something I'd said. But yeah, I mean, my role was different. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't calling the games mm-hmm. on the TV side. And let's be honest, players, their wives, their significant others, their family members watch. Mm-hmm. They do not listen. We have a lot more freedom on radio than the guys do on TV because the ears <laughs> are greater. The eyes are greater, obviously, but the ears are greater. And so players will come and say, uh, say things. But in my role as host, you know, I didn't have to criticize. When I was hosting intermissions with Stan Fischler, we would go back and forth. But to your point that the devils were good, there weren't many nights when you would get on somebody. Like, no, like no. you know, people think Lou Lamorello would come in and say, what? He, he let us do our thing. He, on radio, he never said anything. He never came to me on television and said anything because I think – if they had a three-game losing streak and we kind of criticized them, they would follow that with a five-game winning streak and it was, it was forgotten or Marty would have a great performance. So, no, I, 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 I didn't really have something like that. Well, yeah. I think, though, you guys who were trained, I think that was part of it. You, you guys were just better at all that slicker. You, you bring people in who had no training like me. I, I don't know what I can say, what I can. How truthful should I be and how much of a cheerleader? So I probably did deserve a little more like hmm, what were you thinking saying that where you guys would have been trained and i i mean i had no training on 
Well, you know, I don't know if it's much training. Again, I think it's just a different role. You, as an analyst, you have to say this mistake was made or this mistake, as we like to say on the radio side, Chico's thought is one mistake is okay. When the second mistake is made on the same play, that's when the puck winds up in the back of your net. So if somebody makes a mistake, you point it out. And if a second mistake is made, you point it out. But when you're doing you know, an intermission, you're doing an interview. And then you like, let's take a look at highlights. Yeah, the devils break down here. It's, it's, it's a quicker way of going over the play. But even, you know, I had Stan to do that. I was really just kind of the MC setting a lot of things up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so that, I, that makes sense. You know, Stan would be the one who would criticize. I, not that I wouldn't, I wasn't vanilla, but the guy, and certainly Lord knows people got mad at Stan. Did, I was say, did any players get I don't know if you want to share any stories, but any players, I know a couple have come up to you, but any stories you want to share where they, I don't want to say got in your face, but maybe challenged you on a comment you made? And yeah, did you- no, I mean, I, I just uh, remember Bobby Carpenter said one something one time, hey, you're pretty tough on me last night, which, I mean, the players are so sensitive. I could just say, oh, Bobby Carpenter, you know, turn that puck over, kind of a bad mistake. That at Back in the day, that was like, oh, you're just ripping me. And now I don't know if that's changed. I mean, Maddie and I have changed. Like, he got a tweet or a text that said, hey, if you want to really hear the truth about the Devils, tune into the radio broadcast because those guys are, and we can. We can tell it more like it is. And um, so there were a few guys that did. The only time it was really bad. I, I'm sorry, Maddie, I'm dominating here. But we're in Atlanta and Ilya Kovalchuk was driving me crazy because Atlanta was, the franchise was, was teetering and he was awful that night. He was on five, five goals against. He just, he just uh, um, lallygagged to the bench, right? And I remember I was tough on him and I knew Johan Hedberg, the goalie. So I said to him the next time I saw him, hey, did, it was shortly after that game. I said, hey, did, did the coach, and I thought he would, did he play that clip? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's a good teaching moment for uh, a coach. So then Kovalchuk gets traded here. And I thought, hi, Ilya. He's going to give me a slap. Uh, but he didn't. He, he probably just let it go off him because Ilya was kind of a player that didn't really self-analyze too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't a sensitive guy. But, oh, that was the one night where I really gave it to him because, well, he was, he was awful, but... That maybe I took the easy way out. I would have never done that probably to a home home team player. <laughs> was that, that was that on television? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as Maddie's saying, more people listening, watching, kind of, and yeah. the, the and the coaches play those clips back so the players can hear, especially for the TV guys. Oh yeah. Because when people might not realize when they do video work, it's not like the NFL where they have their own videographers that shoot the games and they have very specific yeah. viewpoints. In hockey, you're just pulling literally the broadcast and you're showing the broadcast to the players so that. They can hear oh, well, what you're saying. Yeah, shown, no oh, yeah. And they're showing the re- like we showed replays of what he was doing. I'm sure the coach loved it. I said to Maddie, the coaches can't always say what we can. But if we would ask the coach a more of a specific question about a situation, because I was a coach. Oh, yeah, I like that. Now I can say what I would like to say, but I don't want to volunteer it. But when I'm asked it, I have to answer it. So, yeah. It was it was something that the coach used and franchise folded anyway. So I, I really didn't do much to save it. Franchise. Yeah, Chico has killed a few yeah, things along I'll, the way. How the devil survived yeah, you exactly. your tenure? <laughs> they moved from Colorado. Oh, that's right. I folded a franchise and a TV station. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know how I've lasted this long.
I was, my, my coin of thumb was too always, if you criticize, if the player backs you up, then you're kind of on the right track. So if I'm watching a game and I see player X makes three turnovers, then we talk to him after the game and he admits, yeah, like I need to be better, but I was like, all right, that's kind of the, your safe runway there. But there were certain players where, I won't name names, but if you criticize, like in the locker room, they would kind of be like, no, that wasn't on me. That was on so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And maybe you second-guess yourself. But those, those are different scenarios. And, and honestly, sometimes I thought the player was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can say the general manager also thought the player was wrong. So at least they kind of knew where I was coming from. Yeah. So yeah. there's and some support there. They can't ever really criticize. Uh, you know. But self, they can self-criticize. Kind of, but they don't go there very deep. True. You know, because, but I'm just saying, we assume in the locker room, hey, uh, you know, Sam, you, you got to pick it up. You know, you're not, you didn't forecheck right. That's not what happens unless it's really like a tense moment where you've lost 10 in a row. So again, if a play-by-play or a color man criticizes a player, I, this is the truth. They're saying, good, finally somebody is getting the message to him. And, and players like that. But you, you got to be accurate. You, you can't, right. you, you got to really know if you're going to go that route. But uh, yeah, it, it's sometimes is what the player needs. And, and in today's world, I don't, think, I don't think the criticism on players is very great. There's, they're not the beat writers. There's not the written newspaper. I mean, that's what you looked at every day. Um, but, I mean, I think it's hard for players or all of us to take criticism. And I don't blame them for well, well, so, No, you're right. So there isn't that daily coverage, at least not for the devils anymore. I mean, yeah. and, and it's, you know, the daily newspaper business has died across America and is dying still. Mm-hmm. But there is Twitter. And the players follow Twitter, and the anonymity of Twitter opens them up. So uh, it's a different kind of criticism. I agree, but my goodness. If I was a player, I would not have a Twitter account. I wouldn't even look at social media, man. But they also want the reinforcement, right? Like uh, (laughs) They love it when they're great, but when somebody says you stink, uh, man, it's unbelievable. And the hard thing is, too, in Twitter now, they they tag you. So so you have no – unless you actively don't look at your mentions, you're forced – like every time they tag you, it's like oh, yeah. it pings you. So like as Maddie, you know, we get tagged in certain things yeah. and like people make comments. So it's almost unavoidable. But also at some point, like you talked about the sensitivity of players. If a an egg face on Twitter that has no profile pic is <laughs> criticizing my play, I'm going to be less worried about it than say, you know, a Matt Lachlan criticizing. Not that you'd yeah. criticize me on Twitter. I'd no, hope I, not. I <laughs> I'd hope you say it to my face. No, but, yeah. but, but the other thing too is, right, because you get pinged, and you get notified, you go, oh, somebody's saying nice, yeah. something nice about me. So we love to be patted on the back. So you go, what was saying? What? You know, uh, and the players certainly get it far more than I do, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure after a tough game, you're like, I'll just stay away from social media for a night. <laughs> yeah. But a game, obviously puck drops at 7 o'clock, let's say. You guys start your pregame show, 6.50. Game runs till 9.45. You come up, do the postgame show till about 10 o'clock. Three hours, three and a half hour window of work, but... I don't think people realize like how much work and preparation goes into that three and a half hours that you're doing. So why don't you walk fans through who are listening, maybe what you would do on a practice day, what you do on a morning skate, how you're getting your information from these players. And Maddie, I know you're, you're pulling clips and stuff too for intermission reports. So give us, give us, we talked about peeling back and looking behind yeah. the curtain. Why don't you give us a little day in the life? It's more difficult now because locker rooms are closed and there's limited contact with the players. Hopefully it goes back. My understanding is that the locker rooms will be open next year, and that's a positive thing for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, yeah, uh, the, we, we all want it. Uh, 
so the, the preparation is different. But yeah, you know, you, you come to practice, you see what Lindy's doing, what they're working on. A few players and the coach are pulled out. You know, you can get contact with the players. You can ask Pete Albeats, who's in charge of that, Nick Blackman, his assistant, do a great job if you ask. But the morning skate, yeah, you come for the morning skate. Again, you see what's working on, uh, what's being worked on, get an idea of the starting lineup. Not 100% sure. It's usually based on practice. Lindy doesn't run line rushes during the morning skate, but he will in the practice the day before. So you have an idea. You look at the power play work they're doing, things like that. And then Chico and I will talk around noon. We go over what our game plan is um, for that night, what we want to talk about, what we've observed. You know, that, that's a, could be a half hour, 40-minute conversation. So, you know, yeah. morning preparation into the afternoon, then... Well, because we're trying to flush out a, a little deeper of, of what's going on with the Devils, you know, Maddie might say, well, you know, I think I might go this angle. Well, like the other night, uh, Lindy Ruff had a really uh, poignant, well, Maddie had asked him the question, a very poignant uh, question about one of the players, and it seemed like his play had dipped. And so Lindy addressed that very well. So, so I, I just said, Maddie, okay. You, you set it up, like that's what he's to do. Then you ask me what I'm seeing, and I will tell you what I think in an honest way. And then Maddie says, and then we can go to the clip of Lindy saying it as well. And, and I thought it was a strong statement, uh, and, and that's kind of what we want to do. And then when the game starts, like the biggest thing for me, Maddie has been doing this, but you have to paint a picture when you're just on radio because there's no, no video. I didn't do a good job of that when I started. I've, I got to close my eyes and think, okay, the person at home, like Maddie will say the puck's going from left to right, or you know, he'll be very descriptive where the puck is, at, all those little details. And, and I had to learn that because I was just talking about the big picture and the person at home saying, well, I don't even really know what exactly he's talking about. So where the puck is, you know, what exactly was happening, if you're looking at the goal to the right, to the left. And I'm still not... Not great at that, but, um, you know, if, uh, expect a call from Pete Silverman, and he, he'll, he'll help me get that together. We might leave you in Dallas. <laughs> Actually, there's worse, yeah, place, there's worse places to be left, though. That's true. And you're on the trip, so I know. they could gas me on this trip and Sammy steps in, yeah. But there's also a chart that every play-by-play person puts together. So I work on that leading up to the game day before usually, put the finishing touches on it, and it contains all sorts of information from league standings to uh, little notes from the NHL, that night's schedule, who's hot on what team, uh, goals, assists, points, save percentage for the team that we're playing, and the Devils record, power play. So all those little formulaic things that you fill in, the nuts and bolts of a broadcast, and I still write it out, I print it out, um, my kids have encouraged me to use modern technology, but I find it reinforces name and number and how old and draft year and things like that. Even though I do know the Devils, it does help with the visiting team. So that probably takes me an hour and a half or so. I've gotten better at doing it. Uh, it probably takes me an hour and a half, two hours to put together. Um, you know, you're watching a lot of games. You know, that's yeah. all part of it. Yeah, you know, talking about not being able to go in the locker room, where, where it hurts is, so Maddie would do this especially uh, on TV even, but now you would go on, if you were the player, I, I, might, I might ask you some, some inside questions, right, Sammy? And you would give it to me, and, and I would have that for the game, and nobody else would have heard it. But now, because every, the, the guys are called out and everybody's talking to everyone, 
there are no like, well, you know, I talked to so-and-so and he gave me this inside scoop. But getting personal stories, and Maddie still makes that a priority, and I try to, but I don't do it as well as I used to because I can't talk to him. Getting some personal to- stories on something, I mean, that really brings that player to life and the whole situation has a, a, a more of a personal feel, right? Yeah, and, and that's why it's important that the dressing room be opened yeah. next year. You miss those. It's very, very hard. Uh, and it's simple enough to do. You sit down with an A.J. Greer, at, you know, like yesterday, and we're recording this uh, the day after the game against Montreal, and he got called up and he scored. But yesterday I was able to pull him aside. He did speak publicly with the media. He was asked to come in and, and speak with everyone. But then I went outside, just asked him a couple of things about his approach after he had sent, been sent down after the last Montreal game, and he didn't let it sit with him. He said, you know, because he had 10 points in three games. So obviously he wasn't, he was disappointed, but he was going to play. And he got into how, you know, he was emotionally immature when he was younger and it hurt him. And, you know, he would, he always thought the world was against him and he had to grow. And you don't get, you don't get that when you're standing at a podium. You only get that when it's one-on-one. More so, you definitely get it when you're sitting in the player's comfort zone, which is the dressing room. Yeah. He's taking the gear off. And one thing leads to another. You know, Chico and I, one of the things that we miss, oh, I, I know I do, and I think you do too. We would go into the Pittsburgh locker room. I would dare say of anybody other than the local Pittsburgh media reps, we have the best re- uh, relationship with Sidney Crosby of anybody. And that's because after he does his business, everybody leaves and we would listen in, but then we would move in, and Sid loves talking about the game. He loves talking about life. He'll talk about anything, and he wants to. You know, and I know in the beginning, the public relations staff would be like, well, we're cleaning up, and he made it clear these guys are okay. And we would sit there and talk about his sister and his family and this old-time hockey. He just loves it, and that's missed. Now, he doesn't need to be humanized more than he is. There's enough stories about yeah. Sid out there. But now if you, if you use that as an example, that's what you can get when you sit next to uh, Fabian Zetterlund or a, a Dawson Mercer, you know, that you just don't get right now. Yeah. I'm going to ask Sid uh, next time I see him if you guys are his favorite broadcast duo outside of Pittsburgh, obviously. Well, he better say yes. <laughs> because you know what? Maddie got him an all-time photo that he did not have. Ooh. And that solidified it. And it was his first game. Zach Parisi was playing for the Devils. And it was Mario and Sid together. It was a great shot. A fan or somebody had taken it. Yeah, a fan. It's a sad ending to this story, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, so what happened, so the fan took it, gave it to me, and said, hey, it's yours. He wasn't looking for anything else. This is my gift. He took it that night. So we get the picture. And we tell Sid that we have this picture. He goes, I don't have anything of me and Mario from that first game or that first year. That first game. Yeah, first game. Yeah. Don't have anything. Man, so Kenny didn't get that. That's well, kind of crazy. It's so now we go and we talk about it, and we we make like ten copies. The idea was here's what we were going to do, and we were upfront with them. We said, Sid, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you the picture. It's yours. You do with it what you want. I would like one signed by you and Mario. Mario's now retired. Chico gets one. The rest you sign. We will auction them off. We will come up with a charity. We, like, it's not for us. We're not going to sell it to collectors. We're, he thinks it's a great idea. Takes the pictures, gives it to a public relations representative, and we have never <laughs> seen those pictures again. And anytime we've talked to Sid about it, 
he's upset. He's like, you're kidding me. He goes, I definitely gave it. And then he's gone back to his home to try and find it. He's asked around. And just like your jersey from the Devils, one you got back, right? But one. No, I didn't get either of them back. Okay. I could have gotten one back. He disappeared. The day he got traded to Philadelphia, he wants to get his Devils sweater. And, you know, we, I'm not going to mention who in public relations, I think, dropped the ball in Pittsburgh. And you can mention who you want here. But at any rate, suddenly... The jerseys disappear, and those pictures we've never, uh, we've never seen them again. No, no, and it doesn't hurt to, to get the players to remember you for some moment. You know what I mean? Like, and and you could do that, and well, it's and, building relationships, right? Uh, well, yeah. exactly, exactly, and they trust you, and you know, I mean, a lot of these guys, as you know, why they don't want to really delve into their their own mistakes is because. Then with everybody who can then write about it, say, well, so-and-so said even he wasn't happy. You know, they spin it into like really being able to criticize the player because they could say, but he said it. So they're going to say, no, I'm not going to give you that, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to say it yourself. And so I get why they're doing it, but um, it, it, it's too bad because when you're one-on-one, like they can say, yeah, I, I really blew that. Like, I remember with, again, with Sid, I said, Sid, I saw the game in the garden, and, and this is probably 10 years ago, where Sid lost it. And, and I said, Sid, like, you, 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 you kind of snapped there. He says, I did. He says, but I, I've had it. These guys are taking, you know, advantage of me, They're, and I just lost it. Well, I didn't go on the air and say that. I, I couched it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at least he could tell me privately, which he would never say, you know, over a, a social media site. So that's what you miss. Yeah. But you're, but you're collecting all these things, and then what's the art of getting them out? Because you, you've got this, you got your cards, and you've got 20 guys in the lineup. Well, mm-hmm. I guess the backup goalie, well, he might play. 20 guys. <laughs> Gotta be ready. Yeah. yeah. 20 guys. And the time each- you don't have information on a player is guaranteed the time he is going to yep. have an impact on the game. Yeah, that probably sounds true. Uh, but then you've got to work them into the broadcast because you can't just hammer out like so-and-so has a shot. All right, here's a good factoid on him. So-and-so may say, here's a fact, you know, what, what's kind of the art of bringing them out? And also, is there kind of the challenge of you, you might get to the end of the game like, man, I had this great nugget on X player, but never had a chance to use it. That happens often because you're more prepared than the time allows. But I think the biggest difference, and it bothers me, radio versus television, is television gives... Television is designed so when the whistle blows, there's someone in the truck, there's been a plan laid out, and he says, on the whistle, we're going to go to a graphic that Chico's come up with about whatever, mm-hmm. or Doc Emmerich, or Matt Lachlan, or Stan Fisher, or in this case, Dan- Dano, or Kanji, or Erica, or whomever. That's not changed. And so there's that flow. On radio, because there's so much description going on, and there's not a graphic that tells you how much time is left, so the puck goes out of play. You go, all right, there'll be a face-off to the right of whomever. Six minutes left in the first period. Devils trail 2-1. to one. By then, the puck is almost dropped, and it's hard to get a story in. It's harder in radio to get those stories in. Yeah, and, and of course, Maddie and I get along, and m- most color and play-by-play guys do, but I'm not going to give you names, but there's been some examples in history where two guys, they couldn't get along. Then it became a bit of, I'm, I'm competing against you for getting my stuff in, and that's not good. But if I have something, I might say, hey, Maddie, Maddie, I'd like to get this in. And then, then Maddie's the, not only the 
play-by-play guy, but he's also really the producer of the show, so he'll let me in. On TV, you got a button you call to Roland or Larry, who was in the truck, and say, hey, next off and play, I'd like to get this in. And fans would always say to me, I don't know how you do it. You just come up with that stuff off the top of your head, and I'm thinking, no, I don't. (laughs) It's all orchestrated. I have about five or six topics I want, and I say, hey, get to that guy, that guy. And... um, but on radio, it, it just doesn't happen. And even now, was I don't know. Do you think the breaks are shorter? Aren't the breaks shorter or something? Minutes, right? Yeah, I think they're. This, I don't know if they've changed all that much. I do know what happens is, thank goodness, we're sold out. And so by the time we get to the break, I, I don't. It, it should t- it should align with television. They're taking the break at the same time. Uh, they control when you come back. I mean, it is time. They can only delay it so much on the TV side. Uh, but for some reason, it seems when we come back, the puck's about to be dropped versus television, which might have just five or six seconds, but just enough yeah. to get the story in. So, you know, maybe we're just jam- jamming our commercial spots, which is okay because we got to pay the bills. Yeah, maybe you're just filling the air with good analysis before you go to break, so a little less when you come back. It, it could be that as well, too. That's what the people yeah. want to hear. The one thing that is true on TV, like the producer is getting you to a break right away. Mm-hmm. Like, on the next whistle, we're going to go to a break. And as soon as that whistle blows, commercial, and he starts counting you down. Whereas we'll talk a little bit more. Puck goes out of play. Yeah. Devils are coming on. Yeah, you know, and we give a little more detail. So it could be on us, too. Well, and then what Maddie did, and, and this is good. So when we come back off the break where we would have a little more time, might be say, hi, I'm Dawson Mercer, and in my spare time, I like to do this. Right? And quite honestly, I think the fans would like to hear that as much as me Babylon again about a play. So you try to add that little touch and that cuts down on everything. But but the thing is that Doc told me, I might have mentioned this, uh, this is one of the longest uh, three-on-threes we've had, but uh, so maybe I've mentioned well, don't it. Don't worry, but, we're, we're wrapping right up. Okay. So, funny you say that, <laughs> okay. but, let, but finish your point. We're but, just warming up, Sam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, mean, I could go for another four hours if you wanted. We just Well, uh, I, I did kind of mention, but on radio, I can't talk over Maddie, right? And then, but what Doc would say, look at. I will describe the play, but when the whistle goes, I am going to cut it short. Like, honestly, some play-by-play guys would go on and rehash what just happened, and then the color guy, well, you just told everybody what happened, right? But so that was strict. Doc says, you don't talk over me, but you, you uh, when I am done describing it, I will stop, and then you're ready to jump in. Well, on radio, that just kind of unfolds more you know you don't you couldn't talk over uh each other i mean once in a while we might discuss something but um so that was one of the big differences that that i found about the game you know everybody like they could say oh well you know the viewer can watch the game and listen at the same time and i remember it was like in the 90s where every color man was talking over the play for a long period of time and i'm thinking they're robbing the viewers and listeners because they want to hear whoever it is Bring that play to a, a higher level. So I'm glad that that now, unless they're still doing it, I don't know, on ESPN and the new networks, but uh, I don't think that works as well. Excuse me, as well. Play-by-play guy does his job. He's kind of the boss. I mean, he really is and in some ways. And the color man comes in under him and just fits in where, where it, it's um, proper. And uh, so it works well that way. And so final question for you guys before we depart. 
I want to get a good memory that you have working together. Uh, it could be a game, an instance, whatever it may be. I see you guys uh, contemplating right now. So, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I have some thoughts, but unfortunately, we don't have a lot of moments of success on the ice. I mean, we've hit a point. You know, we listen. I'm not saying anything the fan is not aware of. Because Sherry Ross was doing it when the Devils went to the playoffs last. Oh, yeah. And, and then Chico came back on board. So there's not those highlights. Remember the playoff win or, you know, advancing to the Stanley Cup final, things like that. So from an on-ice standpoint, that hasn't happened yet, which is why we're not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Because we know it's about <laughs> to happen. Uh, but I will say this. One of the best things about working with Chico is not only his – knowledge and his perspective on the game and Chico I mean others have said this but it's true the man knows more he cares more about people than he does about the game and that's and he cares a lot about the game and so being with Chico and seeing him react to whether it's a security guard or it's the second assistant equipment manager or whatever the way he treats them, the way he treats people that he just meets literally on the walk from the rink to the hotel or vice versa is incredible, whether they know him or not. Chico has a genuine interest in the world and in human beings and making it better. And that's been an unbelievable blessing for me to see how he deals with people because it's very unusual, it's very rare, and it's special. Well, thank you, Maddie. And I will just say, I say to people, we get the best. Like, every person that comes up to us, he's giving or she's giving us their best. Like, oh, you know. And I'm thinking, how could you not respond that way? And so that is, and we're in an open area. We're unique. And, and I don't know if you got it. But anyway, the radio booth is in the restaurant, which has a double bonus. One, you can go get free food and stuff. <laughs> but the fans can come and interact with you. And, and so that's good. And, and I would just say working together. I'm kind of quirky, and sometimes I'd, my mind just goes, psh, psh, goalie, right? You know that, Sam. I'm, yeah, I'm but I remember one of our first uh, games, and um, I don't know, we always talk about, you know, the team's got to tighten up, they're really loose. And I said, you know, I said, he's not going to know this. But I said, yeah, you know, Maddie, you know what? The, uh, the Devils have to do with that song back in the 70s. It was called, Do the Tighten Up Now, and you can do it now, Do the Tighten Up. I didn't know the singers, but you came and said who it was. Archie Bell and the Drells, of course. <laughs> Tighten up. It's Archie Bell and the Drells. Uh, where are they from? Down the south. Anyway, yeah, it's, a, it's a great song. We know, yeah. we know. Oh, yeah, but my point was, he can cover when I maybe don't give all the information, then Maddie will, will cover for me. And, you know, that, that's, that's a comfort zone because I don't have to be exact. Doc did the same thing. You know, like, I don't really hear what I'm saying sometimes you know, the play-by-play the -play guy does. And if he can fill in the, the, the holes I missed, it's beautiful. And I think, and I'll end it here. I think, I don't want people to be mistaken when I say this. We have fun in the booth. We don't mm -hmm. take ourselves too seriously. We want the Devils to win every game. We're optimistic. We call it as we see it, though. But at the same time, if I make a mistake, he makes a mistake, it's not the end of the world. It's just a game. And I think when we laugh along with what's happening or make some comments of songs or talk about you know, whatever, 
sights and sounds. I bring up the University of Minnesota Duluth, his alma mater. <laughs> He's a member of the Hall of Fame. Anytime anyone from that school is playing or there's some connection, uh, we mentioned, uh, who was it? Is it? Not Pitlick's uncle played there. Oh, yeah, Lance Pitlick. Lance Pitlick's uncle played there. Chico's going to do a deep dive. One of, one of the <laughs> Garrelitzes, the, the linesman, played yeah. there. So we mentioned all the time, we have some fun with it. We have fun. It's, I know the result impacts a lot of people, and it's serious from that standpoint. Uh, people whose jobs are on the line, contracts, et cetera. But in the end, it's just a game. And I think we have a lot of fun. Yeah, and you know what I learned, even with goaltending after a while, you, you, you know, people you say, you got to practice perfect so you could play perfect. I said, no, no, please, please. There's no perfect. So even last night, we're playing Montreal. I had it in my head. Sam Montebal, the goalie's going to be in there. I, I, I was told that from my source. He, he was a previously reliable source. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, my reliable source. No longer reliable, at least. He was French-Canadian. So I got that in my head. So I'm mentioning Montebois, and then Maddie slides in Jake Allen. So now, what am I going to do? Just, oh, I'm so stupid, like I used to. And then I realize, hey, that's out there somewhere. It doesn't matter. And then we laugh about it. And I tell you, that's a great way to be in life. If you think you can be perfect, you are going to be disappointed. You're going to be uptight. And in the, market, in the, in the broadcasting business, and you, you know, Maddie, some announcers, like Doc wanted to be perfect. And we had our only fight. And I said to Doc, and I love Doc, I said, Doc, you know, the problem is, Doc, that you think you can never make a mistake. You can, and you have. And if you do, do what you told me. He says, Chico, if you make a mistake, remember, it's on its way to, Mar it's on its way to Mars. Don't ruminate. Don't go over it. And that's what Maddie and I do. If we make a mistake, we got to laugh about it. And then the crowd laughs, or the listeners, and it's just a nice, light atmosphere. And I know I'm biased, but I love the energy you guys have in the booth. I love the, the banter and the joking. And I know you guys take it seriously. It is obviously your profession. There's a lot of seriousness to it, but... As a fan, it is entertainment. I mean, I'm listening because I'm a fan of the team. I'm here to be entertained. I mean, I want the win, but I do want to be entertained. And when you guys are having your banter and your good times, I think the fans feed off that energy, and I think it's awesome. And I can vouch for Matty as being down there in the radio area, if you will. I've seen Chico interact with many of fans and just to watch their faces light up and the way you interact with those guys, it, and especially in intermissions when you go out. And, and I just walk by, and Chico's right there holding court with seven fans hovering around. And... And I just love that energy about you guys. So touche to both of you. And I think that's a good spot to wrap it up, if you, if you will. So this has been another episode of the Speak of the Devils podcast brought to you by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. I've been Sam Gassan. You've been listening to Matt Lachlan, who we turned the tables on today, and Chico Resch, our Devils Radio Network partners. So have fun, enjoy your day, and we'll catch you next week.